Let's open our Bibles to Ezekiel 32. Our goal today is to get through 32, 33, and 34. And if I don't get too sidetracked with um, talking about the eternal abode for the lost with the charts that I have, we should be able to make it. But let's dive in. Chapter 32, as I mentioned earlier, uh, most of these chapters, these, these four chapters here, we missed. I wasn't quite able to get through 32 last week, which dealt with the, uh, the lament of uh, Egypt. We had talked about the surrounding judgments by Nebuchadnezzar uh, to Edom, Moab, Tyre, Sidon, and several chapters given to Nebuchadnezzar's conquest of them. But then we have these four chapters that deal with just Egypt. And we got through most of them, except I didn't get to chapter 32. So I want to look at 32 briefly, but it's in 32 that I'm going to do a sidetrack and talk about the different names of hell, um, where they occur in the Bible. That we'll get to when we get to verse 17. But the first 16 verses are going to tell the story that Nebuchadnezzar uh, would be God's instrument to, dis- to destroy Egypt. So let's dive in with verse 1. came to pass in the 12th year, in the 12th month, on the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Now, son of man, take up a lamentation for the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and say to him, You're like a young lion among the nations, and you are like the monsters in the sea, bursting forth in your rivers, troubling the waters with your feet and following their, their waters. Thus says the Lord God, I will therefore spread my net over you with a company of many people. They will draw you up. In my net, then I will leave you on the land. I will cast you out to the outer field and cause to settle on you all the birds of the heavens and with you all the beasts of the whole earth. I will lay your flesh on the mountains. I will fill the valleys with your carcass. I will also water the land with the flow of your blood, even to the mountains. And the riverbeds will be full of you when I put out your light. I will cover the heavens and make it Stars dark, I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon will not give her light. And the bright lights of the heavens I will make dark over you, and bring darkness upon the land, says the Lord. I will also trouble the hearts of many people when I bring your destruction among the nations into the countries which you have known. Yes, I will make many peoples astonished at you, and their king shall be horribly afraid of you, when I brandished my sword before them, and they will tremble every moment, every man for his own life in the day of his fall. Now, verse 11 um, gets right to the point that I made earlier that this is a continuation after Jerusalem has fallen, the temple's destroyed. Uh, verse 11 tells us the instrument that God uses. For thus says the Lord God, the sword of the king of Babylon, that's Nebuchadnezzar, shall come upon you. So again, keeping it in context, we've already seen the judgments of the other nations, and now this is the final one that talks specifically about Egypt. Verse 12, by the sword of the mighty warriors, all of them most terrible of the nations, and I will cause your multitudes to fall. And they shall plunder the pomp of Egypt, 
and all of its multitude shall be destroyed. I will destroy all its beasts from beside its great waters. The footmen shall muddy them no more, nor shall the hooves of beasts muddy them. And then I will make their waters clear. I will make their rivers run like oil, says the Lord God, when I make the land of Egypt desolate. And the country, a destitute of all that was once filled in, when I strike all who dwell in it, and then they shall know that I am the Lord. How many times does it say I, that they will know I am the Lord in the book of Ezekiel? I want to find out who's been listening. How many times? How many? Fifty what? I hear a 52. Do I hear a 53? How about a 54? 54. It's either 52 or 54. I've got to back, go back and check my own notes. It's one or the other. This is the lamentation which they shall lament her. The daughters of the nation shall lament her. And then they shall lament for her for Egypt and all of her multitudes, says the Lord God. So up to this point, he's saying death is coming upon them. His instrument is going to be Nebuchadnezzar. It's going to cause terrible fear to come upon all around when they think mighty Egypt is no longer. Well, they're dead now, but they're not dead. And what we're entering into now in verses 17 through 23 is where we're going to do our sidetrack. And um, it tells us where those dead go. Picking up in verse 17. Now it came to pass also in the twelfth year and the fifteenth day of the month that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, wail over the multitude of Egypt and cast them down, notice this, to the depths of the earth. Her and the daughters of her famous nations and with those who go down into the pit. So already we have two different descriptions of the same thing, depths of the earth, one, and down into the pit, two. Whom do you suppress in beauty? Go down, be placed in the uncircumcised. Talking about extremes, the pomp and the glory that was once Egypt, now to this place called the pit. They shall fall in the midst of those who are slain by the sword. She is delivered to the sword, drawing her and her multitudes, the strong men and the mighty, shall speak to him out of the midst of hell. So this is um, a lament again to Pharaoh and those who have fallen, but now conversation taking place, and here is where we have our first reference of a place called hell, who those who help him, they have gone down. They lie with the uncircumcised slain by the sword. Assyria is there, okay, and her company with their graves all around her, all of them slain, fallen by the sword. Now who's fallen so far? Tyre, Sidon, Eden, Adam, not Adam, Ammon, (laughs) and um, Philistia. So these are already there is what's being said. And they're acknowledging now, here's Egypt, and here's the Pharaoh. Her graves uh, are set in the recess of the pit, and her company is all around her grave. All of the slain fallen by the sword who caused terror in the land of the living. And it goes on to mention, um, I'm going to stop here. We'll finish the rest of the chapter, but here... I am going to get sidetracked, and um, 
I'm going to put up on the screen five different maps. I'm going to go through them rather slowly and hope everybody can see them. The first one, and what, what I want to talk about here, is the different names that the Old Testament and the New Testament have for this place that we call Sheol, Hades, and hell, and the difference between them. Let's start right up at the top. As we look at God's universe, we have the third heaven. Well, the cross-reference there is 2 Corinthians 12, 2. Paul says he knew a man in Christ, or out of Christ, I don't know, the Lord knows, who was taken to the third heaven. Well, the third heaven is uh, the place that we read in Psalm 10, the Lord says, come and sit at my side till I make your enemies your footstool. And um, it's where when Stephen was stoned, he looked up and he said, I, I, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. The third heaven is heaven. And so that's at the very top. The second heaven, when, when, when um, Paul said the third heaven, the second heaven, we go out at night and we look at the stars and we say we're looking up into the heavens. Well, the universe at large, that would be the second heaven. The first heaven, our atmosphere, and underneath that, the earth. Now, the Bible tells us that Lucifer is the prince of the power of the air. And um, a lot that we're going to be given here uh, doesn't give us much information. And I think if the Lord wanted to give us more detailed information, he would. But... What we have now is, let's talk about, in the Old Testament, the place um, that a person died in their sin, it had two compartments. In the Hebrew, it's Sheol. In the Greek, it's Hades. And um, when a person died in the Old Testament, we're just looking at the Old Testament right now, he would go to one of two places. One was called um, Abraham's bosom. And this is where it's called Abraham because those who died in faith, they, they went to this place of comfort. Jesus refers to this place when he's talking um, to the thief on the cross who had no good works, he was never baptized, never went to church, he had nothing going for him at all. Never said the sinner's prayer. He just looked at Jesus and said, Lord, remember me um, when you enter your kingdom. And the Lord says, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Well, we know that Jesus didn't ascend into heaven for at least three days. So he's, he went, as it says, he was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's what we're told here, the depths of the earth in verse 5. It's weird, gang, what's going on in the middle of our planet. And the Bible talks about it. It's called the pit. And before Jesus went to that place, according to Ephesians chapter 4, it says before he ascended into heaven, he first descended, what, into the lower parts of the earth, and he set the captives free. Well, what does that mean? It means this place called Abraham's bosom. We read, we read about this place in Luke chapter 16, where we have the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man died and went to Hades in the Greek, Sheol in the Hebrew. And um, he is there at this time. 
But we have this gray area, and um, as the rich man is talking to Abraham, he wants Lazarus to come and comfort him because he said he was in torment. So now we've learned something about this place. When you're there, uh, you're still very, very conscious and aware. You have all your mental resources. And it's also a place of torment because he's asking to be comforted with some water. But Abraham's response was, no, I can't. And so this gray box that you see up there is a gulf that is fixed. In other words, one cannot go from one to the other. Um, Then underneath that is the place where the rich man is. The Old Testament sinners are in this lower region. It's a place of torment. And then it has IG, the, the rich man, that gives us a little peek of the reality. Now, last Sunday's message was the watchman's warning. And uh, one of the things that we're to do, it's not talked about much these days, is the reality that you don't die, that you'll never die. That's not the issue. The issue is where are you going to spend eternity? Um, This place called Hades or Sheol is an eternal place. And... um, Then we have on the other side here this place called Tartarus. So it's in the black on, let's see, it would be your lower right-hand corner. This word appears only once in the Bible, 2 Peter 2, verse 4. And I'm actually going to have you turn there because one of my goals tonight is to explain these different chambers, the different names that we have for them. So in 2 Peter 2, verse 4, It said, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell. Now the word hell there, down in my cross-reference, it says the word Tartus, or Tartarus. This is the only place in the Bible that it's used. So that we have, besides Sheol and Hades and this place of torment, we have Another place that's called Tardis, and again, this is the only time it's used. Evidently, it is a reference to Genesis chapter 6. We know that Lucifer persuaded one-third of the angels to rebel. I think this is more a reference of angels that interacted with women that we read about in Genesis chapter 6 that is a reference to them being reserved into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Now, I bring it up because here's a name that only appears once in the Bible and is specifically designated to angels that sin. Um, my, I, I agree with the chart that he's referring to Genesis 6, but I would not be dogmatic about that. All right, let's go to... Um, the next one, which would be now the New Testament view of, of these events. Again, we have the third heaven. It's a real place. It's eternal until there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Again, the second heaven. Uh, and then, again, the earth. And I like this, where he puts the battleground. And one of my points on Sunday is, is are you aware that we're in a war? And the war is over the souls of men. And so we have people, we have angels, and we have Satan, we have demons all involved 
in the world in which we live, the real issue in life is um, what are you going to do when you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Everything else, when, it, when you get rid of everything else, it says in 1 Corinthians 13, that um, when all is said and done, you have faith, you have hope, and you have love. He says, now we see through a glass darkly. The subject that I'm talking about tonight is just that. We don't have glaring illustrations of, of Jesus explaining what this place is like. Very few scriptures are talked about it, but I think he does that on purpose. So what we have missing here is uh, Sheol is still there, um, and Hades in the Greek, but no longer does Abraham's bosom appear. And the reason for that is that it was emptied when Jesus went down, and he set the captives free. We have this interesting verse in Matthew 27, verse 52, that said, after Jesus' resurrection, now he's resurrected, it said, many came out of their graves and appeared to many. I mean, it's one of the worst verses in the Bible. Well, where do they come from? Well, they came from Abraham's bosom. The guy who put this chart together got it right. Abraham's bosom, or paradise, it no longer, it, it no longer exists. So it takes us uh, the gulf or the canyon possibly now the bottomless pit, that gulf has been removed so that now all you have is if a person dies in the New Testament in his sins, well, he goes to the place of torment that we call hell. And depending if we go in this direction on Sunday, I'm not sure, but if in case I don't do an in-depth study on this on Sunday, when you read about the great white throne judgment, it says death and hell were emptied out and they stood before the great white throne judgment. And they, it goes from Gehenna to this place called the Lake of Fire. All right, let's go to the next one. At the end, I'm going to walk this through this. It starts with a zero. You see where it starts with a zero, goes to one, two, three. Let's walk through these. We have, first of all, um, the, the church raptured. We have people, we have the war going on. Um, we have, during this uh, time coming up, uh, during um, where we enter into the tribulation after the rapture of the church, we go to our own judgment. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. Some people call it the Bema seat. This has nothing to do with your sins. It has everything to do of the things that you've done for the Lord now. And what will really be judged is your motives, why you did what you did. Did you do it? Jesus said, when you do a good work, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Because your heavenly Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Question, when and where? Answer, the judgment seat of Christ. It's likened to the Olympics. So after you've run your race, if you took first, second, or third in the Olympics, you get a gold, silver, or bronze. That's the idea here. So it's not a place of shame where you're going to be shamed. It's a place of, they call it the bima, or the award, where you, you are, receive those things that were done. 
on, on, the, on the planet. Also, uh, during, uh, after the rapture, we enter into the tribulation. And so we're going to have people getting saved um, during the tribulation by the two witnesses, I believe Moses and Elijah. But at the same time, you have the beast and the false prophet that are during the great tribulation. After the great tribulation, which is a seven-year period of time, we enter into the kingdom age. And this is where the saints will rule and reign with the Lord, like it says in Revelation 20, for 1,000 years. Revelation 21 through 5, he's got his scripture right. Then you go to 4, and you find that Satan during this time is not the false prophet and, and the Antichrist are cast at, at the end of the Battle of Armageddon. They're cast directly into the lake of fire, but not Satan. So this guy shows that he is um, bound. Satan is bound for that thousand years, and he's loosed uh, only for a short season at the uh, end of the 1,000-year millennial reign. Five, we find Satan is cast into hell for all eternity. Six, we have the place of um, now that's eternal. Um, All Old Testament and New Testament saints who died in their sins will forever be in the lake of fire. Okay, seven, up at the very top on the right-hand side, all sinners from Old Testament and New Testament and tribulation saints are, all sinners, I should say, from Old Testaments and New T- Tribulation are sentenced to hell with their bodies now intact for all eternity, just like the rich man in Luke 6. On the bottom it says, all sinners from the Old Testament, New Testament, and Tribulation times ascend out of Hades, and I made reference to this, to the great white throne judgment and that'll be a judgment only for the unbelievers. So we have two major judgments. And um, th- there'll be those who will be judged according to their works. No matter when they died, Old or New Testament, they will be resurrected. But only to be resurrected to stand before the Father. And then it says, and the books were opened. And they were judged according to the things that were written in the book. Now, we have the technology today where uh, you can put Siri in a little box in your house and she's listening at all times for you just to call her name. And all you have to do is say, Siri, and she'll say, yes, and you can ask any question you want, and it's down. And um, the technology they have today, um, if if your smartphone isn't set right, people could be listening to you right now. Did you know that? So if we have the technology to do that, everybody's checking their iPhones right now to make sure they got that moment off. Um, if we have that technology today with our supercomputers and that everything is it's there, and now you don't think our Father doesn't have every thought, every motive? The, the Bible tells us to judge nothing before the time. And that needs to be clarified because the Bible also says that the spiritual man judges all things. Some of you are thinking, make up your mind, Dwight, which is it? 
Well, I'm to judge, according to this book, what's good doctrine and what's bad doctrine. Amen? That's basically what our study was about on Sunday. You know, be discerning, be a watchman, and don't be afraid to call out the tares that are out there. We went through a lot of them last Sunday. I have to make a discerning judgment, an intelligent judgment that this does not line up with Scripture. Therefore, it must be rejected because it does not line up to the plumb line of this book. And I'm, I'm, in, I'm instructed, even commanded, uh, to test the spirits. Okay, In order to do so, I've got to make a judgment. On the other hand, um, let's say you want to make a donation to Haiti or some good organization. And um, um, you can do it in such a way. You ever see these guys on TV? This person just donated a check for $5,000. The check is this tall, this long, and uh, they got their name written on it. And guess what? They just got their reward. So the Lord says, when you do it, do it so nobody else knows. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And your father who sees in secret, well, he's going to reward you someday. Again, when and where. But I don't, he's the only one who, when it says judge and you won't be judged, what that means is, I shouldn't judge your motive. I don't know why you do what you do. I can't look inside your heart. Now, I've had people accuse me after a Bible study they, were, they came as a visitor and their friends drug them to church and they came up to me upset and said, why did they tell you about me before the Bible study? As if we actually got together. The Lord was just speaking to them. I, mean, I had nothing to do with it. But um, that happens quite, quite frequently. But I don't know why you do what you do. The Lord does. And so he, when it says don't judge, I'm not to judge because I don't know your motive for why you do. Everybody with me with that so far? All right, let's take it a step farther. We left off with, um, let's, let's go to the next one where we're now in eternity. And this one is, is a new heaven and a new earth. So what happens after the thousand years? Well, um, I don't know if I agree completely with this guy because he puts a new heaven and, and a new earth in a single place. Um, and this is, again, where we, I think we can be flexible. I think the new Jerusalem, the way it's described in uh, Revelation 21 and 22, I know its diameters, roughly 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles long, wide, but also 1,400 miles high. It has 12 different Foundations all of precious, precious um, stones. And I personally uh, believe that it's even encompassed in a circle of crystal. And the light, it has, there is no more sun nor moon. It says the light comes from the Father himself in the middle. So here we have, I think, a spear. Now this person here sees it all being together. I believe the, there's going to be a new earth, but they're going to be separated. And we'll have access to earth, but it's not our home. And uh, our home is a new Jerusalem. And again, I'm not being dogmatic, but there will be a new heaven and a new earth. He has as a single place for all eternity. This will be home. And then on the other hand, hell in Gehenna and the lake of fire. Now here's another term. 
We have here the Old and New Testament people not saved. We have Satan there. We have the demons there. The demons who sinned with women, that's called Tartarus. And the beast and the false prophet. And this is for all eternity. I think Bible studies on hell should be preached once a month, (laughs) maybe twice a month. But nobody will touch it because nobody wants to talk about such a painful um, subject. But that's the reality. And um, I'm glad when we go through the the Bible, like we, we go through the scriptures, that it talks about the pit, talks about them going down. All right, there's one more that I'll show you. And that is um, sort of an overview. This would be after uh, the cross, so that's number one. Paradise taken to heaven. Well, that's what Jesus did, but remember it was after the resurrection. And so paradise now, that place of comfort, the guy accurately has it empty. Paradise is now empty. Then we have before Jesus ascended into heaven, we have the 40 days. 50 days after that was Pentecost. And that's Acts 2, we have the beginning of the church age. So he has this accurate. It began at Pentecost, it ends with the the rapture of the church. And then we go into the seven year tribulation. And uh, then he correctly has the 1,000 year reign. So here, that's just a sort of a quick overview of, uh, of all of it. And we're living in the here and now. And so we're told, occupy. Keep busy. Keep focused. Keep on pressing on. Uh, don't get discouraged. Um, even when you are dis- discouraged, realize I'm going through a trial. But the Lord said I would go through trials. And he even said I'm to count it all joy. I really fall short on that one. <laughs> But um, uh, in the meantime, we're to be about our Father's business. Why? Because the consequences for souls is beyond measure. You know, you can't measure the value of one soul because you're one of a kind. What makes a diamond valuable? They're rare. Well, you're more valuable than a diamond because there's only one of you. And that's the war is on for your soul. And um, we'll just leave that at, at that because if I go any longer, I will not get through my chapters tonight, okay? So back to chapter 32 where the subject is Egypt, but now the ones that are taking notice of Egypt are the ones that are already down there, Tyre, Sidon, Edom, Ammon, and they're joining the company of already those who are in the pit in the earth. Verse 24 it tells us um, there is Elam and her, Elam and her multitudes all around her grave, all of them slain, fallen by the sword, who have gone down uncircumcised to the lower parts of the earth, who cause their terror in the land of the living. Now they bear their shame with those who go down into the pit, where in heaven there will be no shame. Now for eternity. You have to live with yourself. One of the places that I didn't mention is outer darkness. That's also part of eternity. And um, you'll be left, you know, 
when before I was saved, we used to joke and kid around and laugh about hell. Oh yeah, it'll be great. I'll be there with all my buddies and we'll be jabbing with Jimi Hendrix and, and Joplin and, and all that kind of stuff. And we were kidding. And in, in our ignorance and foolishness, we had no idea of what we were saying. Nor nor the severity of such statements, because just the opposite is true. You will be living with yourself, with your own thoughts, with your own regrets forever and ever and ever and ever. And um, when that reality set in to the rich man, he finally thought about his five brothers that weren't saved. And he says, well, I'm here and there's nothing I can do about it. Abraham, would you send Lazarus back and warn them about this place? Would you do that? says, no, they have the Bible. Let, let them listen to the Bible. No, I know my brothers. They're not going to listen to the Bible. Well, that's all you're getting. Because even though one would raise from the dead, they still wouldn't believe. There was a Lazarus who rose, Jesus rose from the dead. What happened? Yeah, some believed. But some of the Pharisees went back to Jerusalem and says, we got a problem. Not only do we have to kill Jesus, but now we've got to kill Lazarus. Because he was dead, now he's alive, and a lot of people are believing more in Jesus, so we got to kill him too. So they saw a miracle, but it didn't convert them. It only hardened them all the more. All right, uh, verse 25. They have set on her, i got to get my focus here. Uh, they have set her bed in the midst of the slain with all the multitudes, <clears throat> with their graves all around it, all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword. And through their terror was caused in the land of the living, yet they bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. It was put in the midst of the slain. Now these are Meshach and Tubal and all their multitudes, uh, with all their graves around it, all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword. Uh, Though they cause their terror in the land of the living, they do not lie with the mighty, who are fallen of the uncircumcised, who have gone down to hell with their weapons of war. They have laid their swords under their heads, but their iniquity will be on their bones because of the terror of the mighty in the land of the living. Yes, you shall be broken in the midst of the uncircumcised and lie with those slain by the sword. Then there is Edom and her kings and all her princes who despite their might are laid beside those who are slain by the sword. So they're all there too. They shall lie with the uncircumcised and they also will go down into the pit. Uh, Then there's the princes of the south and all of them and the Sidonians and all who have gone with their slain in shame at their terror which they caused by their might They lie uncircumcised with those slain by the sword and bear their shame with those who go down into the pit. Pharaoh will see them and be comforted over all his multitudes. Pharaoh and all his armies slain by the sword, says the Lord God. For I have caused my terror in the land of the living and he shall be placed in the midst of the uncircumcised with those slain by the sword. Pharaoh... And all of his multitude, says the Lord God. Thus ends the judgments pronounced, the four chapters on Egypt. When we get to chapter 33, 
Chapter 33 brings us to the last major division of this book. From 33 to 48, we will see the glory of the Lord and the coming of the millennial kingdom. So chapter 32 concludes the predictions concerning the nations that were around Israel, and we've dealt to that up to this point. Now, what's going to happen with chapter 33, this was our text last Sunday, chapter 33, verses 1 through 9, and I titled it The Watchman's Warning or something like that. It's actually an affirmation uh, to Ezekiel that um, what God told him to do, he did. It was not a popular message. Nobody want, wanted to hear it, but now he's vindicated because what we're going to read in these chapters tonight is actually somebody who escaped from Jerusalem coming up and made it to Babylon, and he tells the story. He says it's true. Jerusalem has fallen, and the temple is destroyed. <clears throat> so our, our verses... Um, and these are our main texts. I'll just read them again. Um, that were where we were on Sunday. Uh, let, me, let me just throw this in because I like to repeat it. Because what we're going to see unfolding here is now chronological. Okay? So what we're working up to, and this is going to be one of the first places where we're going to talk about hope in the kingdom age and who's actually going to be ruling as sort of a vice regent for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to read it tonight. That's King David during the, during, uh, the millennial reign. But then we get to 30. Uh, next week we're going to be in the, what did I say? We're going to, 35, 36, and 37. Now 35 and 36 and 37 is more pertinent to our time because 37 is fulfilled in our lifetime. In my lifetime, Ezekiel 37 has been fulfilled in 36. And that is the regathering of Israel back into the land. And how interesting, as I walked out the door tonight, here's President Trump, first I think I'm calling him that, and here's Bibi. Now nobody calls Bibi Bibi, except a friend. And here's Trump leaning over and he says, you know, Bibi, <laughs> he says, we can work on this. And the whole demeanor is so different now. But my point is this. Here we have the President of the United States talking with the Prime Minister of um, Israel while Russia has their little spy boats off the east coast of the United States of America. Well, something's cooking. And this is all setting the stage. So after that, we have 38 and 39. That's the war that's about to take place in the Middle East. But then you get to chapter 40. And from chapter 40 to 48, it is one issue. It is a very detailed account of the millennial reign. And I mean detailed. So that's a chronology. Uh, and I like to repeat things. So when we teach through the Bible... We've gotten to some places where there's a chronological order. We've also pointed out that in one verse you can have a gap of, what, hundreds if not thousands of years, right? But we're getting now to a point where starting with chapter 33, he talks about being a watchman 
and warning people about what's about to happen. So that has a real practical message for us here tonight that we're living in a generation that's watched the, the rebirth of the nation of Israel. And we'll be there next Wednesday, 35, 36, and 37. That's happened. Check it off. What hasn't happened is 38 and 39. But is the stage set for that to happen? You betcha. And after that, the very last verse of chapter 39 says, and then the spirit of the Lord will rest upon Israel. Well, I thought it was upon the church. Well, yeah, it was until the church was raptured. And now, where does the spirit lie? Oh, 144,000 Jews that are supernaturally sealed. Two witnesses. And God always leaves his witness. That leads into um, chapter 40 to 48. All right, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Chapter 33, again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, when I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make them their watchmen, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take um, warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But he also, but he who takes warning, well, that person's life will be saved. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, uh, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Now again, this is directed towards Ezekiel. So you, son of man, Ezekiel, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, <clears throat> you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that a wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, it is not turn from his way. He shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered his soul. In other words, warn them. We got a phone call from a, 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 a pastor from, from uh, Arizona who one of his elders or deacons has a brother who's on his deathbed in one of our area hospitals. And um, he said, the Lord told me to call the Calvary Chapel. He's, he comes from a Baptist background, but he went to our Bible college. He says, I'm, as far as I know, I'm the only Baptist around that teaches the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. So now we have a family member who's on his deathbed, and he calls us and he said, would you please go talk to him? So yesterday, I was at a hospital. Never met the man before. I called him by his first name. I said, you don't know me, and I, I, I really don't know you. But I told him about his brother and their concerns. And um, I tried to, you know, practice what I preached on Sunday and tried to get him to open up some way where he would be open up to listen. So we chatted small talk for a little bit. And um, 
Then we started talking about serious issues. And I asked him about his health. And um, if he was ready to pass away. And uh, I asked him, if you died today, would you go to heaven? And he said yes. And, um, and I said, on what grounds would you go to heaven? And he says, because I'm a good person. And I said, that was the last thing I was hoping you would tell me. So I said, can we start there and let's just work through this. First of all, I am no better than you and you are no better than me. My Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there's none that's good, no, not one. And then I talked about some of the things that we talk about with with people just to get them to see that they really are sinners. Well, did you ever steal anything? Yeah. Did you ever lie? Yeah. You ever look at a woman with lust? Yeah. Well, I said, well, there's three of the Ten Commandments we've broken. Do I need to go any farther? He says, no, I get your point. And he was was beginning to open up. And so I laid, I said, what I'm here for, and I called him by his first name, and I could tell he was opening up. And I said, this is what you need to do. And I explained the gospel to him as simply as I could. I told him that it was personal um, between him and Jesus. I told him the story how my dad got saved after going to, to a church for 25 years, but he wasn't born again. And... Um, At the end of the day, the gospel was presented, and um, I asked him if if he ever wanted to see me again, I would come up, and I asked him if I could pray with him before I left. And so with that, um, you know, you can't, you can't force the gospel on people. They have to be open to want to hear it. But at the same time, you can't cut any corners and not tell them the truth that there really is a hell. Matter of fact, I told them I talked about hell uh, last Sunday and the reality of it. It's a real place, and you don't want to go there. And he said, you know, I don't, I don't really read my Bible. He says, but I believe everything you're telling me is true. And I said, but are you getting the part that Jesus did it all and you deserve what he got? He says, I get it. So I'm, I'm praying, so praying for this man. We came back and we called the pastor down in Arizona and he was overjoyed that it was at least presented to him. What was I doing? Well, here was somebody who's born again, like the guy. He doesn't want a brother to die in his sins. Would you please send somebody that will simply explain it to him simply so that he can understand in a simple way what the gospel is. The gospel's not complicated at all. It's a matter of making it personal between you and your creator. So pray for this guy. The Lord knows who you're talking about. And um, I told him, I asked him if I put his name on, uh, uh, without using his name, could I put him on our prayer list because we have a prayer list here at the church. And he said he could. And so it's benign, but God knows who he is. And um, my prayer in closing was that the seeds that were sown, that they would take root, and this man would, would come to, to know the Lord in a personal way. All that to say this, we're talking about, okay, Ezekiel, warn them. Why warn them? Because of everything we just read in the chapter before, how real it is, 
That's an eternal state. And once to die, and then the judgment. All right, I left off in verse 10. Let's pick it up, verse 11. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his ways and live. Turn, turn, turn. Makes me think of a a bird song. (laughs) Pete Seeger wrote that. Did you guys know that? Pete Seeger put the music to it. Let me clarify that. The birds made it famous. Uh, Turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Therefore you, O son of man, say to the children of your people, the righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall because of it in the day that he turns from his wickedness, nor shall the righteous be able to live because of his righteousness in the day that he sins. When I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity, then none of his righteous works shall be remembered, but because of the iniquity that he has committed, he shall die. Again, it only takes one sin. If you've, the uh, New Testament says if you break one, you've broken what? You've broken all of them. And again I say to the wicked, you will surely die if he turns from, from his sins and does what is lawful and right. If the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has stolen, walks in the statute of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live and shall not surely die. These are the ones that I think ended up in Abraham's bosom. And where it talks about the Lord going and, and preaching to those. <clears throat> None of his sins which he had committed shall be remembered against him. For he has done what is lawful and right. He will surely live. Yet the children of your people say, well, the way of the Lord is not fair. But it is their way which is not fair. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he shall die because of it. But when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is lawful and righteous, well, he shall live because of it. We call it um, turning from the old ways. In Hebrews 6, it says turning from dead works. Well, that's where you repent and change, and by faith you start following the Lord. Are you perfect? No. Will you ever be perfect? No. But when you do fall... First John 1 John 1.9 says if you sin and you confess your sin, then he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. And the greatest thing about being a Christian is you guys get a clean slate every single morning. His mercies are new every single day. Too good to be true, but it is. So picking it up in verse 24, it says, And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity in the tenth month on the fifth day of the month, Notice this, that there was one who had escaped from Jerusalem. And he came to me and said, the city has been captured. Okay, now here's the first time that somebody got out, instead of Ezekiel telling them, now somebody that was actually there makes it to Babylon, and he says, it's over. And they're beyond 
belief. Now they have an eyewitness that, that comes. In verse 22, now the hand of the Lord had been upon me the evening before the man came who had escaped, and he had opened my mouth. So when he had come to me in the morning, my mouth was opened, and I was no longer mute. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, they who inhabit those ruins in the land of Israel, saying, Abraham was only one, and he inhabited the land, but we are many. The land has been given to us as a possession. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, you eat meat with blood, you lift up your eyes towards your idols, you shed blood, should you then possess the land? Remember, their argument is the Lord isn't, the Lord isn't fair. And the Lord is saying, yes, I am, because you've done all these, all these things. You rely on your sword, you commit abominations, and you defile one another's wives. You know, the affairs were going on day by day. Uh, should you then possess the land? Uh, say thus to them, thus says the Lord, God, as I live, surely those who are in the ruins shall fall by the sword, and the ones who are in the open field I will give the, to the beast to be destroyed, and those who are in the stronghold and caves shall die of pestilence. For I will make the land most desolate, and arrogant strength shall cease, and the mountains of Israel shall be so desolate that no one will pass through. And then they shall know, here it is again, I hope you're counting them, then they shall know that I am the Lord. Uh, when I have made the land most desolate because of their abominations, which they have committed. As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you besides the walls and in the doors of the houses. And they speak to one another. Everyone says to his brother, please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as people and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but with their hearts they pursue their own gains. Another place where it says they could, um, their heart is for me, but um, their works are for me, but their heart is far, far from me. Indeed, you, uh, you are to them as a very lovely song, one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument, uh, for they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come. Then they will know that a prophet has been among them. And up to this point, it's been all false prophets. I want to get into this uh, 34 because it deals with now the hope and where it actually talks about David being <clears throat> uh, the true shepherd, and it deals with probably where we're heading on, on Sunday, the importance of um, shepherds feeding, doing what you guys are doing tonight. You're taking an hour out, and you're going through four chapters of the Bible. We're doing it chapter by chapter and verse by verse. This is what shepherds should do. And the good shepherd, well, it's 
my time's running out, so I better just get into this. <clears throat> Chapter 34 is dealing now with the shepherds. They've had good ones and bad ones. Ezekiel was a good one. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should they not shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak have no have not been strengthened, nor have you healed those who are sick, nor browned up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with force and cruelty you have ruled them. A good description of the scribes and Pharisees, but also the false prophets during that time. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains on every high hill. Yes, my flocks were scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Well, our good shepherd said he left the ninety-nine, and he went and looked for the one that went astray. And he was the good shepherd that was after the one that was lost. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey, and my flock became food for every beast of the field because there was no shepherd. Nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves, and they did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep and the shepherds, shall feed themselves no more, for I will deliver my flock from their mouths that they may no longer be food for them. They were what we call fleecing the flock instead of feeding the flock. What could they get from the sheep or the people for themselves? Now it switches gears in verse 11 to a true shepherd. For thus says the Lord God, indeed, I myself will search for my sheep, and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among the scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they are scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I'm going to bring them back from their peoples and and gather them from their countries, and I'm going to bring them to their own land I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and the valleys and the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pastures and uh, their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. And there they shall lie down in the good field, in the good fold, and feed in rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock. I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. And of course, everybody's thinking of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Cause me to lie down by the still waters. I will seek that which was lost and bring back that was uh, driven away. I'll bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. And as for you, O my flock, thus says the Lord God, 
Behold, I will judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and goats. Now, this is a reference to Matthew chapter 25. This is a prophecy, what I just read right here. And before you can go into the millennium, you're going to have people who are alive and saved and people who are alive and took the mark of the beast. And what this verse is saying, the cross-reference here is correct, Matthew 25, verse 32, that at the end of the tribulation, there is a 45-day period of time, according to Daniel 12, where he will judge the nations. Sheep on the right hand, enter into my Father's kingdom. You other ones, go in, um, um, in eternal damnation. Why? Because you didn't feed my flock. You weren't concerned for my people Israel. Verse 18. Is it too little for you to have eaten up the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the residue of your pasture? And to have drunk the clear water that you might foul the residue with your feet? And as for my flock, they eat what you have trampled with your feet and they drink what you have fouled with your feet. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep, because you have pushed with side and shoulder, buttered all the weak ones with your horns, and scattered them abroad. Therefore, I'm going to save my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he will feed them. Now catch this. My servant David. My servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them, and the Lord has spoken. So here is one of those references where you've heard people say that that David sort of um, sits as a vice regent in place of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will, and this blows my mind to think that um, we're going to interact with planet Earth. And that's probably where we'll be going more on Sunday, showing our place as the bride of Christ and David as um, the one who is ruling and reigning during the millennium on planet Earth. Let's finish up these last verses, 25. I will make a covenant of, of peace with them. I will cause wild beasts to cease from the land, and they will dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. Another way of saying the lion will lay down with the lamb. I will, I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. I will cause showers to come down in their season and they shall be showers of blessing. And then the trees of the field will yield their fruit, and the earth will yield her increase. They shall be safe in the land, and then they shall know that I am the Lord. When I have broken the bonds of their yoke and delivered them from the hand of those who have enslaved them, and they shall no longer be a prey for the nations, nor shall beasts of the land devour them. But they shall dwell safely, and no one will make them afraid, I will rise up for them a garden of renown, and they shall no longer be consumed with hunger in the land, nor bear the shame of the Gentiles anymore. Today Israel produces one quarter of all the fruit in the world. What size is New Jersey? 
fourth largest, larger producers, especially oranges, Jaffa oranges. You ever hear of Jaffa oranges? Thus they shall know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them, that they, and they, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, says the Lord God. You are my flock, the flock of my pasture, and you are men, and I am your God, says the Lord God. What we've just done is set the stage for the rest of the book of Ezekiel. We're done with the judgments. Ezekiel's been commended. He rebukes the false shepherds for their false teachings and not caring for the flock. But he says, now let's jump into the future. And what we went into here is all the way into the millennium. But before we can get to that, we have to get through 35, 36, and 37. Because um, that has to happen before we can get into 40 through 48. So I'm going to be repetitive on that, and we need to stand and pray. So let's do it. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. And um, the little sidetrack that talks about the reality of this place, that should put the fear of God in, in people's lives. Your word tells us it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a, a true living God who is just. We've read about the righteous Turning from being righteous, well, they'll be judged accordingly. And then we've read about the wicked turning from their wickedness, and you tell them they're going to live. Lord, we thank you that you give us little glimpses of the millennium. We find that um, a hero of many, David, is actually going to the promise that you gave him of his ruling and reigning. Just pray that your word would just go out tonight, and we thank you for this time that we've been able to spend in these chapters. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.